it has repeatedly been a place where some idea will take hold, become bigger than it actually is, bigger than the city itself, um, and certainly, certainly into the realm of fantasy and fabrication. And it catches the imagination of people all over the world who have to come rushing out. It's, it's, it happened all over again with the techies. That was author Alia Volt. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Remember when pot was illegal? In this episode, Alia expounds on the story of her parents, which she wrote about in her book, Home Baked. In the mid-70s, her mom moved to San Francisco and inherited a cannabis brownie business. After the young couple met, Alia's dad joined in on the fun. It's the story of San Francisco as it was going through a bit of a 60s hangover. Hordes of young people from all over the country still flocked here, and AIDS hadn't hit yet. Here's Alia. So on my dad's side, I come from a multi-generational um, psychic artist family. And that goes back to at least my great-grandmother, who was a medium herself and considered herself married to a ghost, uh, which is a whole nother story and a very eccentric one. Also an artist, and, and I think on, on that side, the artists go back at least another generation and maybe two. Oh no, three. There was this. There was a guy who was part of the Hudson School. So, long line of of artists of different kinds on that side of the family, and eccentrics and just weirdos. Um, my dad grew up traveling around Europe with his artist mother, mm -hmm. and landed in Walnut Creek in high school. Spent some time at UC Berkeley, and eventually dropped out of UC Berkeley to attend the Berkeley Psychic Institute. Right shortly before he met my mom. Okay. My mom comes from a, a very different sort of family, middle class, Jewish, conservative, out of the Midwest from Milwaukee. And she came out here after a breakup, just kind of following all her free-spirited friends, as people did in those days, mm -hmm. to this mecca of experimentation and alternative lifestyles and she just had the idea that she wanted to remake herself and whatever was happening here she wanted to be part of it mm -hmm. uh, the two of them met on a blind date in which they exchanged psychic readings yes i love it <laughs> um can we go back just real quick yeah. do you do you happen to know and apologies if this is in the book i'm just forgetting sure do you know how your mom found out about whatever San Francisco was. Like TV shows, magazines, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Do, do you happen to know that? She, well, it was, it was very much in the ether at the time. Um, this was 1974, 1975. Patty Hearst was on the news. Um, I don't think that was what drew her out here, but... <laughs> That'd be interesting. <laughs> but it was part of the excitement. I mean, this sure. was obviously a place where wild and different things were happening. And, mm -hmm. and she had become radicalized, as she puts it, at, uh, at school in Milwaukee at the University of, of, of uh, Wisconsin, mm -hmm. first at Madison, and then Milwaukee, where she was caught up in riots there. Okay. 
in in protests against the war that turned violent when uh, when basically when the police rioted. Right. Um, so she was uh, she had already kind of broken from uh, the idea of an appropriate life, right. according to her parents, and she wanted to try something different and and exotic. She'd already traveled in Europe, and I think that San Francisco seemed like to her like the most exotic and interesting part of the country at that time. She had a a, a former roommate who was living out here. Right and invited her to move in for a while. And that got her started. She landed with very little money, as you could in those days, and her sketch pad and in a wicker purse, you know, yes. <laughs> the, 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 um, the classic hippie thing. And it was post, a post-hippie era, you right. know, so she didn't come for the summer of love, which I think many of us know was not a real thing anyway. Right. Um, but she didn't get sucked into that. She came for whatever the post-hippie experiment was going to be. Mm-hmm. Counterculture, is that fair to say? Totally fair. And that was a break from her upbringing and her parent. maybe, would you say her parents' wishes for her or just kind of expectations? Sure. I mean, let's see. Her mother was a first grade teacher, very conservative, and... Um, rather abusive. They had a a very troubled relationship. And her father was kind of a, he was kind of a tough guy. And she she was very, very close with her dad. He ran a tavern that was located right across from the police station in downtown Milwaukee, but it was also a mafia hangout. <laughs> and he he was this guy who liked to tell stories and hear stories. And so he had friends on both sides of the law. Mm-hmm. She saw him as this, as this teddy bear tough guy. And I think she idolized the idea of a good bad guy mm-hmm. from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so... When over time she fell into this brownie business, which we'll talk about, and became something of a good outlaw herself, it was kind of an evolution of how she understood her dad to be. Interesting. Did she, and again, apologies, apolog- blanket apology for anything that <laughs> yeah. is in the book you that I just to... don't have a memory for. Oh um, but did your, <laughs> does your mom have siblings? She has a she had a brother. Okay. He's passed away, and they did not get along. Okay. Uh, so he was very straight she thought he, she, she thought he was an insufferable square and um they they were just kind of an oil and water got it uh sibling rivalry kind right. of situation they never patched up their relationship mm. interesting the reason i ask is i'm just trying to kind of um uh set the stage for what a move here like hers was yeah like what it, you know what it meant she obviously had a friend here mm-hmm. but she probably didn't have a lot of maybe did she have a, other friends who were who were doing that yes okay. i mean it it was a thing <laughs> people came to san francisco um when they wanted to experiment with different lifestyles i mean i think that was pretty common in the early 70s even though the whole summer of love thing was over. A lot of the world didn't know that. Right. <laughs> you know, a lot of the world didn't know that it didn't exist anyway. Right. Um, and so there was still this whole. Um, there was the, there was this myth about San Francisco. I mean, and and really, it's been one of the qualities of this city, 
going back to the gold rush that uh, and and who knows maybe even before that we have uh, unfortunately destroyed much of that history um, as as uh, European colonialists mm-hmm. but European colonists mm-hmm. but it has it has repeatedly been a place where some idea will take hold become bigger than it actually is bigger than the city itself um, and certainly certainly into the realm of fantasy and fabrication and it catches the imagination of people all over the world who have to come rushing out it's it's it happened all over again with the techies Cyclones. it's our it's our cyclical personality i don't know why <laughs> this is who we are but it seems to be our thing my theory is magnets magnets there's, there's under underground magnets they're all over <laughs> a big one on our street where a lot of things happen the the, the current version or iteration of the magnets um a lot of folks that we're friends with on our block are having joint issues. So I'm going with magnets. Uh, can we go back to that blind date, though? Sure. Um, I want to hear a little more about that. That sounds amazing. Uh, and eventually you're here because, right. because of that blind date. A, a direct line to the person sitting in your chair. Yes. So um, <laughs> so my mom... My mom is is a very intense woman and um, has both both high and unusual standards for partners. Okay. And she would not be with anyone who is not an artist, and um, had this you know this particular set of needs. And so she's 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 dating and not finding people who are intense enough. Or she scares the crap out of them because she is so intense. Mm-hmm. And this this is like a pattern throughout her life. Okay. So she had her best friend, my godmother Barb, would would tell her repeatedly, we need to find you a magician. And she's like, sure, where do you find a magician? And then Barb, through someone she was dating, met my dad, who is this also very intense psychic artist. And he impressed her with not only his artwork, but just his kind of, his gravity, his intensity, his self-seriousness, his his sense of personal power. And she was looking at one of his paintings and thought, oh my God, Doug, this guy, and Meredith are going to be together. And she just Barb, felt- Barb thought that. Yeah, Barb, Barb had this it. thought. Okay. So she fixed them up on a blind date. And my dad, being my dad, is like, well, hey, let's- exchange psychic readings so we can find out who we really are, which is just so something he would say. <laughs> <laughs> and a theme throughout the, something that keeps happening in the book. It's true, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> slash their lives. Yeah. So um, so he goes over to her house. She gives him a tarot reading, which was something that she would occasionally do on the wharf also. Um, something she had picked up along the way. And they had a an attraction to one another. The next day she went over to the warehouse in in the mission where he lived with a bunch of other artists and he gave her an aura reading in the style that he had learned from the Berkeley Psychic Institute. My mom was pretty smitten with him at this point. but he kind of he kind of insulted her at the end of the reading. He he made a comment about her weight and another sent her running out the door. Another th- Theme. Another theme, another yeah, in their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, he came back, she came back. There was a lot of magnetism between them, speaking of magnets. Mm-hmm. And 
once they got over that initial rockiness, they were just full on. Mm-hmm. The, the kooky psychic stuff did not end uh, with them and in some ways continues to this day. <laughs> okay. uh, so they were on a very early date, in fact, when my dad said to her, I'm carrying a spirit child with me. Right. And this eventually is me. It was a boy in his mind. It was a boy in his mind. Up until literally you were born? Yes. Psychic but imperfect. Hey, he saw something. Surprise! He saw something. (laughs) Um, Well, we... uh, There would be an elephant in the room if we didn't talk about what your mom eventually did. What she did for a living. Sort of. Right. Yeah. Her job. Her job. Her hobby. (laughs) Uh, oh, it was a job. Her money. So she was already doing this when when my parents met. Right. Uh, not long after arriving in San Francisco, at the time she was doing illustration. She's she's an artist, and she was just kind of scraping by with this. But a friend of hers had a a little business where she would go around to Fisherman's Wharf, which at the time it was this whole scene of uh, craftspeople and artists that thousands of booths like the people out selling jewelry today on on the wharf it's it's no comparison uh it gives you no sense of what it used to be there were there would be thousands of booths on a given saturday ringing several blocks and um and performers and you know robin williams doing comedy and there were tap dancing nuns and there was there was a guy who'd pull out a grand piano and play in the back of a truck and magic acts and this it was this whole thing and so sheree mueller who called herself the rainbow lady would go around with a basket of baked goods and she was she was a good baker and she'd make breads and stuff like that well one of her customers had talked her into making a few cannabis brownies Mm -hmm. it wasn't the majority of what she did, mm-hmm. uh, but it was a side thing, and it and it earned her more money, and she earned what she needed to to move to Vindhorn, okay, <laughs> which was her goal. Okay. And when she decided to leave, she offered this business to my mom, right? And my mom, who cannot bake <laughs> at all, right. I mean, she eventually learned to make weed brownies, but she's a horrible cook. Okay, she was immediately more interested in the drugs than than the straight baked goods, right. roped a couple of her friends in, including my godmother, Barb, who came up with the recipe. Oh, right. And pretty soon it was all weed brownies all the time. By the time my parents met, they weren't quite doing 10,000 brownies a month, but it was getting big. Right. Um, that was one of the things in the book, like the volume. Yeah. That you did a really good job of laying out where I was like, wow. <laughs> I mean, it was the a mod- It was essentially a modern cannabis business, right. but it was way before modern cannabis mm-hmm. was happening. Mm-hmm. So, it it was the first in San Francisco to operate at that scale that mm-hmm. I've been able to find, and I've been I've done quite a bit of research. I haven't been able to find one if there was one. And a lot of the business, um, what I got from the book, um, not only word of mouth, but your mom and and others who were involved like literally getting out and walking and going to various places like yeah doing that one-to-one sort of relationship absolutely well one of the things that was smart about it because of course this was completely illegal at the time and one of the reasons I think they didn't get busted was this really smart business model that evolved out of the whole wharf situation Mm -hmm. 
on the wharf, my mom didn't sell to tourists, which was the majority, you know, the majority of the people walking around um, then as now. She only sold to the craftspeople and the buskers and, 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 and locals who she could meet through word of mouth and have a, have a sense that she could trust them, right? right? So that pretty soon evolved to going into businesses and she would go into boutiques and bars and restaurants and I mean just any kind of business really and and sell to the people on the job she had this idea to stone the labor market yes. <laughs> which is still brilliant. Think is cute fucking brilliant right yeah. but it 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 kept her safe in a way mm -hmm. because um she would go into an ice cream shop, for example, and have a guy there who always bought. And he would say, go see so-and-so at, at this boutique up the street. He's dying to meet you. And so she'd walk in. And it, and it spread really organically like that. So eventually, my parents got together. They, they moved into the, to, into the warehouse in the mission where, where this all happened. There was a third, third salesperson who came out, Cheryl. And each of them developed different routes. So my mom had the Castro and the Wharf. Cheryl had Polk and Union. Uh, Doug had Noe and Haight. And in this way, they really irrigated the city with the brownies. But what would happen is they would go into these businesses and their regulars would buy large amounts and then disperse them through their own social circles. And the reason that I, I feel like this is what kept them safe is that almost nobody knew where the kitchen was. Right. And also, very few people uh, among their customers had an idea of how big it was. Right. If, you had, if you saw the same person every week on your street, you assumed this was a person who lived in your neighborhood coming to you on your street. You, had, you would have no idea that there were people in different neighborhoods at the same time. And maybe that person made those brownies for me and maybe no one else who knows right. who knows right that's great it's a great so was that intentional then as, as a way to kind of disguise uh, yes. the illegality of yeah. what they were doing I would say yes but it was also organic yeah I mean it was it was organic but it was it was smart and it was strategic mm -hmm. um, it, it evolved very naturally out of the idea of selling to craftspeople mm -hmm. when it was small but I think even then, my mom had an awareness that if I sell to tourists, I'm going to get busted. If I sell to strangers, I, I'm running the risk. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, was, it was smart, you know. So can you set the stage for, you, you teased it a little bit about um, your dad's idea of what you eventually would become. <laughs> So the stage for, for your arrival on this scene, and obviously um, none of us really remembers our first few years right. on Earth, but maybe some of your first memories? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I, feel like, I feel like in talking about this, my parents just sound so ridiculous. And, and they are pretty wild people, but... Um, they sound real. To, they are real to, me, to me, it makes them real. <laughs> I, I love it. But I, I, was also, I was also thinking while we were talking... We're, about this idea of San Francisco being a myth-making kind of a place mm -hmm. and how the myth becomes exaggerated. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I have this origin story about my own life that is like that. This is what I've been told about my life, that it was, I was psychically predicted from the beginning, mm -hmm. but there's a fly in the ointment. And you grow, you grow up with this idea, and it's like, well, what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to become? Right. 
<laughs> so and my parents never, um, you know, never tried to give me a different story. This was always the story they gave me. Um, so my dad had the idea that this spirit child, this little boy who'd been following him since the Berkeley Psychic Institute, mm -hmm. was going to be a healer of the world, okay. was going to be a, a leader of some kind. Okay. Which... Is sort of a heavy handle. I mean, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? Right. Uh, so he had that idea. He was going to name me Galen. Mm -hmm. When I'm, I have to say, I'm glad I escaped that. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> there's the other. Another element of this story is that he supposedly predicted the moment of conception, okay. which is to say that my parents had sex. Mm -hmm. And he looked at her afterwards and said, there, now you're pregnant. Okay. And lo, she was. Uh, She's corroborated the story. Yes. Okay. She tells so the happened. same story. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Right. Let's <laughs> so just go with it. This I... is the stuff my parents say. Yeah. It happens that my parents say weirder stuff than most parents. Right. But, <laughs> uh, but yes, and, and the, the dates all line up exactly right. And okay. I mean, I'm, I, I'm a fairly serious researcher when I come at this stuff um, and I tried try to pick it apart yeah. and there are things that I can pick apart sure. but uh, a lot of it a lot of it lines up exactly right okay and I don't know um, what can I say yeah. <laughs> but yeah so my my dad was uh, quite convinced that I was going to be a boy my mom he was so sure and he'd been right about the conception right so she was sold on it. Okay. And <laughs> so Gayla and I was going to be, but while she was pregnant, she read the book Dune by Frank Herbert. Right. Um, it's a science fiction epic. Mm -hmm. And there's a character in it named St. Alia of the Knife, who's a little girl who's born with the knowledge of hundreds of generations of Bene Gesserit witches. Okay. And she thought that was cool. So she wrote the name Alia down on a piece of paper and carried it around in her jeans, in the pocket of her jeans, never even told my dad. Mm -hmm. So when I, surprise, came out a girl, she was like, she was ready to rock. I imagine your dad in like the corner of the room, like, what the fuck happened? What went wrong? And she's like, yeah. I got this. I he, got this. He was upset. Yeah. He was upset. He actually, he left the hospital. He, he went through some psychological turmoil around it right. because he felt like he had been um, misguided by, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I don't know, the universe, his right. spirit guides that he believed in. Right. And um, it, it was kind of a... It was kind of a, a, a smack in the face to him. Yeah. I think he's recovered. He's gotten over it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and he's uh, now convinced that I'm a leader as a writer. So, um, Do you want to tell folks how they can, uh, I mean, buy, the, buy the, the, the hardback, by all means, go to the library, find it, et cetera, et cetera. But also something very special is happening a week from today. Do you want to tell folks how they can find Sure. That, something special. That Easter egg. <laughs> <laughs> well, the on on four twenty, the soft cover is coming out of Home Baked, and it's uh, we have a a new design. There's a lot more bonus material, photographs. There are more interviews, um, a lot more artwork because the book is also full of of the artwork that my parents designed to package the brownies, uh, which is just like some great 
70s stoner art, kind of an underground comic. Yes, and thank you for mentioning day. that. I was going to mention that. That was one of, one of my favorite parts of the book. Getting, yeah, getting was, to the beginning of it, like not only finishing a chapter, but like <laughs> starting, what's the next art going to be? It was really, you know, this is a, a digression now, but it was really fun to work with because my dad is sort of an archivist and he saved every week one of the artists in the collective where they lived would design new packaging for the brownies and the the art was always some sort of commentary on what was going on politically or astrologically psychically or yeah, yeah. um uh, with the or what was going on in their relationship and mm. my dad saved it in chronological order so that i was wow. able to map it onto weeks and see really clearly what they were thinking about what they were fighting about right. what what the topic was at the time so it was a, a really fun tool and then i got to of course use some of these designs as chapter headers throughout the book mm -hmm. and and it was a lot of fun to work with but anyway so there's more of that in the paperback mm -hmm. the paperback comes out on 420 and you can get it wherever you buy books but hopefully you buy your books from a local independent bookstore absolutely we we're not far from um one of my favorites green apple which is a half a Two blocks from here? Yep. And Green Apple has signed copies always. Yes. That's like, they're right around the corner. So I pop over and sign them all the time. That was Alia Volz. On the next episode of Storied San Francisco, Alia will tell us more about her own life. Please join us this Thursday for part two. Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. The show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have nearly 150 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, subscribe, rate, and review our show so that we can reach even more folks. And if you'd like to drop us an old-fashioned email, we'd love it. The address is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time. podcast is a proud member of the bff.fm podcast network learn more at podcast.bff.fm bff.fm best frequencies forever